In this episode of LLPG, we take our podcast over to the UK and we're thrilled to share an hour with English soccer coach Ali Speechley. She speaks truth into this beautiful game and how it's evolved a little slower than she would like to in terms of incorporating females into the game. She's currently a, a grassroots coach uh, for youth, uh, girls, but she has a powerful message of engage, educate, and empower, and really wants to help young females believe that with hard work and a positive attitude, they are capable of anything. And uh, Allie is passionate, and she never planned to be a soccer coach, but her story is powerful, and her mantra of if she can see it, she can be it, is one that you need to hear. So find out what it means to be authentic and how we can be better at at that, what stereotypes are holding women in this sport back, and how do you engage different learners to be their best? Tune into this hour to get the answers to all these questions and more. All right. Welcome back to a, another episode of Life Leadership and the Pursuit of Greatness. I'm out here in East Central Iowa uh, on a rainy day. I'm your host, Tim Lovell, along with Dwayne Mathis, who is in Central Iowa. Uh, Dwayne, how are you today, man? Doing well. You know, it is a little rain, but, uh, you know, hopefully it'll clear out. And uh, definitely excited uh, for our next guest as LLPG goes international across the pond. Yeah, we are crossing the pond today. We have a really awesome guest, uh, Coach Ali Speechley uh, from uh, England, uh, Southeast London specifically. I think I got that right. Uh, coach Speechley has been a youth professional coach and currently runs a grassroots club over there. Uh, she's got a fantastic mission to educate, uh, engage, and empower uh women through the game of soccer and she's got an incredible story we're going to dig into that so let's let's say hi to our guest she's waiting so patiently coach uh, speechly how are you hi hi both i'm good thanks very much for having me on um it's actually a bit of a rainy day in london as well so um we've we've matched on our weather if nothing else um yeah i'm good thank you I think you know, we planned it that way, you know, since, you know, England, London gets a lot of rain and it's raining here. So it matches up perfectly. Yeah, I hope I haven't, it might sent, be a, I hope I haven't sent the rain your way. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just wanted to match environments, to be honest with you. But uh, the rain's not going to dampen our conversation today. Uh, so, Coach Reese, I gave just a little bit of uh, intro to you, but we're really excited to hear your story and how you got to where you are now. So, would you be so kind to give your background to our listeners um, who don't know much about you so we can break it down more? Yeah, absolutely. So I have always loved football. I guess the first thing, just so we're clear, I'm going to call it football <laughs> because it's always been football to me. But I appreciate there's a difference in language. So forgive me when I say football, I mean soccer. Um, so mm -hmm. I've always loved football. Um since I could walk, basically. I've got a twin brother and um, we used to kick the ball about all the time when we were little. I used to play um, um, in primary school. I think you probably call that elementary school. Um, so like from the ages of like five to 10, I would play at lunchtime. Um, I wasn't allowed to play for the school team uh, because I was a girl. That was that was literally the the explanation given to me by the teacher who said no. Um, and then in secondary school, so like high school, I um, I went to an all girls school, and we played field hockey. So I played that, and I loved it, and I captained my team. Um, but I still had this kind of passion for football. Um, I just had nowhere to play it, and no one to play it with except boys. Um, and then. Uh, when I went to uni, uh, the, there was a big sports kind of scene, but it seemed to be more about alcohol than sports. <laughs> and I've never been a big drinker ever. So I kind of steered clear of, of football at university and um, uh, genuinely didn't play uh, organized 11-a-side football until I turned 30. Um, and I played for three seasons. Um, for like a grassroots Sunday league team, so very amateur level. 
And I loved it. I just wish I'd done it like a decade sooner. Um, my legs would, would always remind me uh, that I should have done it a decade sooner when I was like marking an 18-year-old on a Sunday morning. Um, and so when it was when I was playing for that team that I was, I was offered a place a free place on a coaching course to, to kind of learn how to be a coach, basically. And I, I just thought, yeah, why not? I'll go along. Um, and I gave it a go. And, and then it, it, it kind of just took off for there. So I, I never planned to be a coach. It, it, it kind of just, it was a, it was a passion that I found. Well, it's funny you say that because I don't think, you know, if any of us look back at, uh, you know, our, you know, how we became a coach. I don't know if, if Tim and I would either say that we plan to be a coach either, you know, but we had a, a great passion for the games that we love and, you, you know, you just kind of end up there. Uh, so that's interesting. You know, when you look at your, your road to getting to be a coach, you know, I'm sure you've had some examples of, of leadership, you know, throughout your times playing, whether it be lacrosse or, or soccer or football, excuse me. Uh, but so when you look at a leader, what is, when you're talking to your team, what is the definition of a leader coach? So I think for, for me, all of it really leadership, empowering others, kind of building a team is just first and foremost about understanding people. Um, because they're not, you know, yes, they have come to play a sport and we're all united by our love for that sport, but we're all people too. And so I think one of the greatest strengths of any leader is is to be kind of a human being and to recognize other human beings and be authentic and, uh, you know, really try to relate to the person in front of them before you get into the kind of nitty gritty of coaching a sport. Well, what, what would you um, attribute some of your influencers in your coaching profession? Um, where, where are some of the people that have impacted your, your vision for where your career has taken you now, coach? Um, yeah, so I think, I think I've been fortunate to have some great role models um, in terms of other female coaches um, and also some male allies. I'm a big, I'm a big kind of advocate of um, – of getting the support of the right men, shall we say, on board to mm. um, to support women in sport. And um, I think so, you know, from PE teachers at school to um, female coaches that, that, that I have watched in certain environments um, and then professional female coaches across lots of different sports who have kind of paved the way and especially in football because it's very different um in america and canada where it's very common for girls and women to play football but in england um for a long time you know it, i mean football was actually banned women were banned for playing football for 50 years by um our national fa um just after the First World War. So it was only in the kind of early 70s that women started playing football again in this country. So for, you know, for a long time, it has see, been seen predominantly as a male sport. Um, but I think, yeah, I've, I've been really lucky to to be around some some really positive role models. I also think it's important to be honest and say, of all, uh, what I've learned a lot about coaching has also come from experiences of, of not great coaching <laughs> and kind of wanting to not replicate that or not make my players feel like that because I've seen the impact it can have. Um, and, you know, no one's perfect. I'm not a perfect coach. I, I make mistakes all the time. We all make mistakes and that's how we learn. But I think, yeah, a lot of the time, especially in my early coach education, going on coaching courses and there would be I would often be um the only female on the course and um there would be quite you know certain men in the group who were very confident that their approach was correct and actually I would look at the impact that their approach was having on the players and think I'm not sure this is doing the job you think it's doing so I think it's also important to to be quite critical as a coach. Don't assume just because someone's famous or working at a certain club or whatever that their approach is necessarily the best approach. Mm. 
I think that's a, a great point, Coach, because, you know, I've been around uh, in, in my sport. I've been around some guys who have played at the highest level that you can play at in, in our in our country, which is the NFL, who come back, who try to get into coaching. And, um, you know, they just aren't a good coach. So just because you've played at the highest levels doesn't mean that you're going to be you're going to have that transition into being a great coach. And because uh, it truly is, um, you know, I think sometimes people who play at those high, high levels don't understand that not everyone has their athletic ability. And, you know, people, you know, may have a longer road to get to where they're going and you have to have something called patience to, uh, you know, allow them to develop and they're not just going to be there like that kind of deal. And, uh, you know, so that's that's a great point that I think our, our listeners need to hear um, when you uh, look at your program that you have, coach, what are the some of the non-negotiables that you have within your program that your your players know that hey coach expects this from us um yeah so i think i think an essential one is respect um as you said you know everyone everyone has different approaches everyone's at different levels of learning um we're all people as i've said so we all bring we're not robots we don't i don't turn up to a session just and all i am is a coach you know i bring what's happened to me that day you know in my life i bring all of that with me and my players do that as well so i think you know first and foremost we have to start with respect uh for one another um what we may or may not be going through um and because then I think that helps us have a little bit of patience with each other and that kind of understanding and just a kind of honest approach around this is this is our key objective of what we're trying to achieve in this session or this season or whatever it may be. But, you know, you can, you'll know as coaches, you can plan and plan and plan and plan and then the reality hits you <laughs> and you turn up to the session yeah. and maybe yeah. the personnel that you need aren't there or the equip- there's a problem with the equipment or whatever it might be. And so I think, you know, I, I have respect for my players and my, my players have respect for me. And I think when, when that starts to break down for whatever reason, that needs addressing first and foremost because... I don't think you can move very, I don't think you can make a lot of progress without it. Is, is there anything else that you feel um, you need to have in, in place um, along with that respect? Or is that really the, the, the tantamount piece for you developing where you, where you want your program to go? Um, yeah, so I think, I think that's a, that's an essential component. I think also alongside that is, is a kind of, a willingness to learn um, because I'm a very patient coach and I'm, I'm happy to uh, repeat things and, and try things in different ways and communicate differently with different players because we all learn in different ways and at different speeds. But um, the players need to give me that effort too. You know, if I've gone to the effort of creating a session or, you know, trying to deliver in a way that I think they'll understand, they need to bring that willingness to learn. And again, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean, because I hear sometimes people use this term coachable and, oh, that player's coachable. And I'm, I've am i sort of questioned this for a while because I feel like, I feel like I like to think maybe this is just me being um, too idealistic. I like to think any player's coachable. <laughs> it's just about finding the route into coaching that player and sometimes that takes a lot of patience <laughs> and it takes you know a lot of different um approaches to find the right one but especially when you're working with youth i find it to me there's something very sad about the idea that there could be a child who wasn't coachable you know and again i think it's important as coaches to reflect um about our performance first so if i ever had a child or any player that was disruptive in a session i need to think about why that is and i think that's not the answers don't necessarily just lie with that player they might lie with me too so maybe my session is boring 
maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe that player is bored and actually this isn't moving at the pace that they need it to move at. And I need to set them an individual challenge as well as the wider challenge. Maybe they're confused. And what I just explained on a tactics board didn't make any sense to them, but they didn't have the confidence to say that. And I need to recognize that they're not trying to purposefully be disruptive. They just don't understand what's going on. And I think I think, you know, that that takes a lot of, of patience and sort of honesty from a coach. But I think it's quite important to to adopt that approach. Well, I think that's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, our Tim and I's profession alongside of coaching is we're both teachers in, in school systems. And one of the first things that, you you know, they tell, tell you to look at is if you're if your lesson, you know, if you, you know, are doing an exit uh, question or something like that, exit ticket for your, your classroom and kids aren't getting your lesson is you need to go back and look at the lesson uh, to see, you know, how you can reteach that to the kids. And, you know, to be honest with you, I've never thought about it that way in regards to my my practice. You know, if kids aren't getting it, I don't look at it myself. I, I often sometimes say, I don't understand why that kid didn't get it. You know, he should have just got it. I mean, you know, or, you know, the, I, I this kid just isn't going to get it kind of deal. Instead of saying, how can I do a better job of reaching that kid? Uh, you know, it's it's just what you said. All that. He's just uncoachable. You know, he's un, he, he can't you know, he, he's not going to get it kind of deal. And so that's that's very interesting that you say that, coach. I appreciate that. Well, I think the reflection piece is really important. You know, we, you know, I think one of the great keys to growing as a, as an individual is to learn how to reflect and get better. And I think you're doing that on a daily basis um, with your kids. And, you know, quite honestly, it takes a mature person to do that because to Dwayne's point, um, Coach Speechley, maybe you, maybe you uh, don't agree with that, but I, I think it sounds like you're uh, willing to be just like the players. You're willing to grow and learn and, and understand that you've got mistakes and you've got room to grow. Um, and I think that's the daily process of of being great. Um, wanted want to segue a little bit into the power of the game that you love and the lessons that you know you want taken away from that with the people that you coach and engage and serve. Um, it's a game that is the most popular globally. Um, you know, not our American football as much as we'd love to say that. Um, but it is a powerful game. And, and if you really learn the nuances of it, um, I was fortunate to coach, I think I told you, for five years at the high school level. And I uh, really learned a lot about it and about myself as a coach. But would love to hear your thoughts on on the power of the game and, and where you where you see people learning lessons. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, as you say, it's, it's the biggest sport globally. And I think, you know, as a female, that's what sometimes has kind of been a bit jarring for me and, and just doesn't make sense in my own head how you've got this beautiful, you know, they call it the beautiful game. It's literally known as yeah. the beautiful game. And you've got this beautiful, amazing sport that has the ability to connect people all over the world. Like you can just all speak the language of football. You could go to Africa and, you know, create a ball and start kicking it with the kids and they would instantly know what to do with it. Like, that's amazing. You don't even need to speak the same language. You can just communicate via football. And yet mm -hmm. there are lots of processes that still in 2020 are excluding or at least making it very hard for women, you know, 50% of the population to to participate at, at lots of different levels of the game, not just as players, but as coaches, as medical staff, you know. And so I think that's why I'm quite passionate in particular to kind of empower other females in sport, be that a seven-year-old who's trying it for the first time or a 67-year-old woman who wants to play walking football because she was always told she couldn't when she was younger. Um, you know, whatever it is, I want to empower those other women, mainly because I felt like I was so excluded from this sport that I've loved my whole life when I was younger. And I think um, it's important for this next generation to know that not only can they participate, but they can be coached by women and their physio can be done by a woman and they can be managed by a woman and they can win the whole competition playing against other women and they can get paid for it. 
and that's amazing mm. and that's a, that's a massive massive um you know leaps and bounds of progress have been made but um but yet there is still a lot of kind of misogyny i think in the sport and that's why I, like i touched you know on the importance of kind of male allies and and getting other men to kind of communicate these key messages to to men who maybe aren't quite ready or willing to listen to them just yet um but yeah it, it is it, it's an amazing sport and it has it has the power to kind of um unite groups as well that maybe for other reasons wouldn't necessarily find themselves in the same room i think that's what i've always loved about it i come from quite a mixed background myself my mum's half italian my dad um is indian and i've always grown up um in a real kind of sort of mixture of like heritage and culture and ethnicities and different foods and clothes and you know all these different kind of um uh spices of my life basically and i grew up in a you know i grew up in southeast london which is very multicultural and um whilst there are lots of things sadly as we know that still people still use to divide us sport can can just bring so many different people together to just in you know just unite them even just if it's just to cheer on the same team for 90 minutes i would 100% agree with that community uh piece you know Dwayne and i talked about the power of friday nights which out here is high school football and Saturdays is college football and Sundays is NFL, American football. I need to make sure I clarify that. Um, <laughs> but we've often talked about the ability of a sport like that that brings people in, uh, you know, some from the north side of the town, some from the south side of the town, someone that's uh, black, someone that's white, someone that's <laughs> Italian, Indian. They're sitting in the stands next to somebody who they have no idea who that person is and they're cheering for laundry. But they're really not just cheering for laundry. They're cheering for the community. Uh, and, you know, I use that line from Seinfeld. So, um, you know, he liked the idea of cheering for laundry. I always thought that was funny, but <laughs> I love how you can, I love how you connect that because, um, that is the power of sport. It gets people to join hands together and give hugs and high fives. And you're like, I don't know who you are. Um, but it's awesome. We're celebrating together and, and, and that, that wants you coming back for more, right? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And I think also, um, in terms of our kind of physical and, and mental well-being there's lots of programs and initiatives that use sport and football as kind of ways to help people take the first steps towards a better lifestyle you know like so yeah maybe you're not going to play professional football but you know it can help you lose some weight or it can help you make some friends and feel less isolated um and i think yeah it's just it's it's got so much potential to do good and I think that's that's the part of the game that that we need to focus on um, and make it as accessible as we can to as many people as we can. Coach, you uh, retweeted uh, or quoted uh, something that I found uh, really, really uh, inspiring, and and I, I wanted you to talk about it because you know I'm interested in knowing just your uh, experiences in, in England, you know, with this, but, uh, uh, basically, you know, the definition of, of a woman who's competitive, you know, how that is different, perceived differently here, for instance, in the United States to, uh, how it is, uh, you know, received and perceived in, in England. Yeah. So I think, um, <clears throat> I think often in this country for, for, for a long, long time, females have been socialized to kind of be very in touch with their emotions and know how to express them but in quite a careful way it seems and so it's okay for a girl to cry um, you know and things like that whereas boys are um boys are socialized to kind of keep all that inside and you know man up be a man all of those phrases and um, I think that has sort of bled into sport a little bit, whereby there's often, like I, I coach, I've, I've been lucky enough to coach the whole kind of spectrum in terms of ages of, 
of female football. So I've coached, the youngest players I've coached would be like five years old. And then I've coached women in their 60s um, and and everything, pretty much every age in between. And I think um, there's often a myth in in women and girls football that they're just there because they want to socialise and kind of hang out and they just happen to be playing football too. And they are as competitive as anyone and they love it and they don't, it's not just like, it's not just, it's not just competition for the sake of competition. They thrive in those competitive environments. And I encourage competition all, all the time in my players. I just think it's important to ensure that it is safe and it's purposeful. Um, but I think, yeah, I know, especially there's lots of initiatives in this country at the moment around um, encouraging young girls to sort of seven to 11 year olds um, to maybe take up football for the first time. And um, and it is really important about how you interact with those players because boys are sort of given a football when they're little. They're given balls to kind of play with, whereas girls aren't. Girls are given things like dolls and, and things like that. And so it's quite common. It's becoming less and less common, which is great, but it's quite common for um, that sort of hand-eye coordination and those skills to be slightly less developed in girls than they are at boys at a younger age because they just haven't had as many touches of the football. They just haven't had that interaction. And so whilst it's really important to kind of be aware of that and plan sessions quite kind of carefully around that when you're teaching young girls who haven't played football before, it's also equally as important to introduce them to competitive environments because the fact is, is that the world is competitive. So when you go into a, a, a workplace, you know, that has nothing to do with sports, that workplace is still a competitive environment. And I don't think we, it, we're not, we're doing girls a disservice by trying to protect them from competition because we're all, we're constantly in competition. We just need to make sure, as I said, that it is safe and it's purposeful. Yeah, you hit it right on the head. You you answered the question that I had next on my head is the value of competition, and I think you really hit it. Is because uh, it's gonna it's gonna value or benefit them everything they do moving forward in life. You're you're not going to always win. In fact, there's probably a good chance you're going to go through a lot of your life and you're not going to be on that winning end. But how do you respond to that piece? And you know, giving skills, social skills, really. It's what it comes down to. I mean, how many times have you seen the kid freaking out because they haven't won and all they've been doing is used to winning? Well, they need to be put in an environment and taught how to respond. And I, I love that notion. And, uh, you know, as a dad of two girls, I've got a 20-year-old and a soon-to-be 14-year-old. Both have played soccer and one is highly um, passionate about the game of soccer. Um, and when we come back from break, we're going to ask Coach Speechley um, the question that my daughter Kenzie has for her as a, as a soccer player and soccer coach. We can't wait to hear her response. Stay tuned. All right. Welcome back. We're here with uh, Coach Allie Speechley from uh, Southeast London. Uh, coach, we, we've had a really good conversation about the, the power of the game that you love so much, football, uh, the global impact and, and the power that it, it can produce in, in, in females in particular. I've got a daughter that uh, I teed up a question for her last night knowing that you were coming on and soccer is a game that she's passionate about. And um, I, I really thought it was a unique question and I, I'm, I'm tying it into your tagline on your Twitter page where you want to engage, educate, and empower. And, and the question is, how do you how do you reach each of your players through different strategies? Um, you know, through different coaching methods. What are some things that you do to get to those players uh, that maybe need coaching in a different way? That's an amazing question. This is why I love um, questions from kids because they always ask the best questions. So thank you, firstly, for the right? question. Um, so how do I just check I got this right? Um, how do I use different strategies to reach different players? Correct. That was the question. Right. Cool. So I think, yeah, like a big part, as you said, my kind of coaching philosophy around engage, educate, empower, that starts with engagement. And one of my strengths as a coach is that one-to-one -one engagement with players and understanding them as people first so that I can work out the best ways to help educate them. 
um, and, and motivate them. And so I think the, the, the kind of techniques and tactics will always vary because no one person is the same. Um, so especially when when learning, like we all learn in different ways. I remember when I was a player that the coach would give the instructions for the, the practice in, in, a, in a training session of what we were about to do. And she'd give it to all of us as a group and she'd be like, okay, got it. And I'd think, no, I do not have a clue what you are on about. But I'd just kind of smile and nod. And then when they started playing and I could see it, I was like, okay, now I get what you want from me. So I've always been very conscious of that as a coach, that not everyone is going to get it from a tactics board or some cones on the ground or even sometimes from a demonstration. So I always try and demo things at like a slower pace before we, we go live, as it were. But sometimes for some players to learn, they literally just have to do it. That's how you learn. You learn by doing it and getting it wrong and then understanding why you've got it wrong so you can do it again. Um, so lots of different, I, I mean, I've touched on a few there. So, you know, you can use a tactics board, you can use kind of cones on the ground, any equipment that you've got available really to show players what it is that you're talking about. Um, but I honestly believe um, all players just need to do it first to truly understand. I also think it's about understanding where that player is mentally in that moment. Um, so the more you get to know your players, the more you can tell just from how they walk into a session where they're at. If they're going to, you know, if they've had a good day, if they've had a bad day, if they're tired, if they're hungry, you know, you the, the more you get to know them as people, the, the more you can understand those things. I think something that's really important um, with female players when you start coaching female players of a certain age is their menstrual cycle because, you know, periods affect um, women and they affect their ability to train. They affect their ability to sleep. They, they affect their ability to mm. recover. Um, and so, you know, there's lots of research that that's that's being done on this and um and it's really important uh to, to understand the female body in sport because the female body is different <laughs> to the to the male body um and i think the last thing i'd say in terms of like um different strategies and, and approaches when when kind of coaching players is to me um i need i need to know that a player understands why they're doing what they're doing because anyone can can kind of fake it till they make it right so anyone can get a fluke and do something right in inverted commas the first time but if they don't understand how they've achieved that and why they've got that result they don't really understand it yet so being able to do something isn't the same as understanding exactly how and why mm. Yeah, I think that's that's great. I mean, uh, that's something that we've talked on with other other coaches that we've had is understanding your why, knowing why why you're able uh, to do something. You know, one of the things that you know I was curious when you when you talked earlier in your struggles of you know wanting to play a sport that you love, but you know in in England it, it just wasn't you know as acceptable you know for women to play. Do you think? You know, when you talk about a global sport like football uh, in England, do you think the popularity in other countries like the United States, like the U.S. women's national team has had a lot of success here in the United States? And and seeing how, you know, those women are, are very competitive in their sport that they love to do. Do you think that's pushed the needle for more acceptance in in your country for for women to emulate what they see? I think I think yeah, and I think it's done that on on quite a few levels. It, it's done that um, as a nation wanting to be competitive ourselves, like wanting to be able to play America in you know a semi final of a World Cup, wanting to get to that stage in the first place to be able to play you know defending world champions. Like we want to compete at the top level too, and we want to win things. And in order to do that, we need to develop world class players. 
Now, you're not going to develop world-class players if girls can't play, can't find opportunities to play football as seven-year-olds. So I think there's definitely, it's impacted the whole game because we need to create those players and you don't just wake up you know, as a superstar when you're like 23, you have to train and train and train and train to get there. And we need to create the pathways and the structures and the support for players to be able to do that. Now, that definitely happens in England. And you'll see, you know, there are English players that go over to America to kind of hone their craft over there. Um, And there are players that, that play, you know, in France and Germany. And I think just the same as male players, you know, move around the globe to to play the sport they love. Women have started to do that too. And so I think, you know, we we definitely have like our academy system has improved a lot, Um, like academy opportunities for girls to play football um, to where when you play. So if you play in an academy, that means that there's a structured pathway for you to end up playing in the first team and then potentially a pathway to play for the national team. So that it's definitely, I think, any time any nation kind of excels at something and achieves something, it does make the rest of the world go, oh, well, hang on, I want a piece of that. Like, how do we get there? Mm-hmm. And I think also just to touch on it, because I think not enough, not, not many people know that, like, Literally, women's football was banned for 50 years in this country. And so we are making up for 50 years of not being able to play. And so, you know, people talk about level playing fields a lot. Like, it's completely uneven. You know, we've we've had to recover and, and completely start again. So I think, in fairness, like the progress that we have made, um, you know, has been quite significant if you think about, where we had to start from. Absolutely. You know, and I think something that, you know, I just go back to, uh, you know, when you're talking about being competitive is, you know, when I think of like, you know, competitive athletes, prominent male athletes here in the United States, you know, you think of Michael Jordan, you think of you know LeBron James, Peyton Manning, you know, some of those types of names. And, you know, when you, when you hear the word like, well, they're just so driven, you know, they're competitive, you know, they're competitive. But then when you, you know, I think of people and then I look at the workforce, you know, and people who are competitive, they're motivated, they're driven, you know, they want to be successful. But then when a woman is also competitive, oh, they're pushy or, right. you know, or there's other adjectives that we won't mention, you know, that, <laughs> you know, how they get they get classified in. And, you know, why aren't they driven just like you know, like the Michael Jordans of the world kind of deal. Why are they labeled in that, in that direction? And, you know, and you talk about aligning yourself uh, with, with male allies, you know, I think that that's something, you know, those male allies need to recognize and, you know, and call out that, you know, that person isn't pushy or something else. She's just as driven as, you know, males in, in their field or in their sport or whatever they may be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that's reflected at, at a very young age as well. I've, I've been in sessions where um, I've been coaching, you know, like eight-year-old girls and I've heard, um, I've, I've overheard a pair, you know, a dad call out, oh, well, you know, Jessica, don't, don't be bossy. Well, would you say that if it was Joe? Like, would you say that if it was Jim? No, you. He's just being assertive, right? He's just being a captain. He's he's getting his team together. He's got a game plan and a strategy. But the girl is bossy, and so I think you know you're absolutely right. Language is important, and and this goes back to my point about how we socialize different genders. Is that actually we're all just people and we're all all of us are are, are capable of amazing things but we we need to we need the the pathways and the structures to achieve those things and and to be to be shown that it's possible and I think one of the things that goes around social media quite a lot is you know if she can see it she can be it and that is absolutely powerful and true because I know that from my own experience I'd spent a whole I'd spent a childhood into, well into my teens thinking that football had no place for me as a player 
to the point where I didn't even really realize that there were female teams and that some you know clubs had women's teams because I just completely switched off I just I just supported the men's team of the club that I supported because it I I didn't I had I never saw any women play football so I just thought assumed that they didn't and honestly it was it was not until I was 30 years old and I was playing football in a park with some male colleagues from work after work and these two Canadian women came over to me and said oh my friend has just set up a team in southwest London and um, you should come and try out and I went to this training session and there were all these women playing football and I felt so stupid <laughs> but it had never occurred to me that there would be women like me that liked football but it's because I'd never seen it and so that if she can see it she can be it is immensely powerful like it, it's not just a hashtag it, it is genuinely true I think that's uh, amazing. I love it. And I love it as a dad, uh, because I want that for my daughters. And, you know, I, 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 and I want them to grow up knowing that they're capable of doing whatever they can, um, they can see. And I, and I think sometimes it takes hearing that from somebody else because, oh, it's just dad and he's trying to be encouraging or, you know, but hearing from, from you, someone who's, who's doing it. And it actually is a female, quite honestly, it makes a difference, I, I, I believe. And so, you know, it sounds like we need more women like you to empower young women to go reach for that. And so what is your advice to, to women who are, are, are hearing this? Um, how, how do they, how do they get to that next level? How do, how do they wrap their arms around trying to, you know, engage, educate and empower that next generation of, of girls? So I think for me, the, the, the starting point always is find what sparks joy in you. So, like I said, you know, I've loved football all my life. It, it genuinely sparks joy in me. It's not a chore for me to plan a session or deliver a session because I love it. I love the game and I love watching other people love the game. So once you've found whatever it is that sparks joy in you, that's your area of expertise. So for me, it's always been really important to encourage other people who you know if there's something you want to do absolutely let's try and achieve that then in the ways that we can and so I think my my area of expertise may well be in empowering others that I think also it's that you so I never set out to empower people it wasn't like I had this big game plan and I was like right I'm gonna engage educate empower it was that I was doing right. it and I was studying for one of my coaching qualifications. And as part of the qualification, we were asked to think about what our coaching philosophy was. And as part of that thought process, um, we had to think about why we coach. And every time I thought about why I coach, these similar themes kept popping up. And that's how Engage, Educate, Empower was born. It was born out of me thinking, well, why do I coach? Um, and so I think for other, for other, like no, no journey, no two journeys are the same. So in terms of advice for, for other, especially other females, um, coaches or players, you're probably already empowering people without realizing it. Um, just by being a female in a male dominated space, that is already, that is immediately powerful and empowering to others because again, she can see it so she can be it so if you see a female ceo stand up and give a presentation or you see a you know a female football manager take her team all the way to the world cup finals and win like that's powerful um but i think it starts with it starts with just doing what already sparks joy in you because then it will never feel like a chore You know, I, I will freely admit that, you know, obviously <clears throat> growing up, um, you know, I grew up in a, uh, you know, pretty, you know, Midwest traditional environment where, you know, and I think the women's role in, in the family was mo more uh, subservient than, you know, an equal partnership. And so, uh, you know, that's what was modeled to me growing up. And, you know, I think, you know, I had a conversation. I have a, a nine-year-old daughter, and um, she said uh, a couple weeks ago she was talking about, 
you know, well, well, this is this is more a girl job, dad, than a, a boy job. And I I really, you know, I stopped and I said, no, I go, there's no girl jobs, Isabel. Mm-hmm. I go, you know, there I go, you can do anything that you want to do. And I go, it doesn't I mean, if that means you want to be the president of the United States, then set your goals and you can be president of the United States. I go that. And that was, you know, and I, I realized at that point that kind of like what my, you know, you're a product of your environment kind of deal. And, you know, I was, you know, not always on the right side of history in regards to kind of probably my thought process is at a much younger age, but, you know, I'm glad, you know, I feel that, you know, God gave me a daughter in my life. So, you know, I could probably come to that, that realization and understanding and, and hope for her that she understands um, that, you know, she can do anything that she wants to do. And, you know, and you see it in the United States here and, you know, there's, there's women who are serving as coaches of men's sports now. And, you know, has that reached, uh, you know, England yet? Or do you see women who are, you know, coaching men's sports and how is that being accepted? Um, so you, you see it in sort of one-offs like, um, Andy Murray, the tennis player, quite famously had a female tennis coach. And, you know, he, he's, he's one of the most famous male allies for, for women in sport because he's always very quick in interviews when he's told that he's got the record for this and he's got the record for that. He's like, I'm pretty sure Serena Williams did that a long time before I did. You know, so um, it, you see it in kind of some individual one-to-one coaching partnerships predominantly like male team sports the coaches are are men um you like certainly in football not at the very top level yet I mean there are very few female coaches in in general in football it is building and it is increasing and and women with you know some of the top licenses those numbers are are increasing but because the pool is so small it's it's not um it's not surprising that there aren't any female coaches, for example, in, in the men's Premier League, the, the, the top football league in this country. But I genuinely think we will see it. And, and I hope we see it in my lifetime. And I think we will, because there's, there's definitely women that are capable of it. And there are definitely lots of women working in boys and men's football, just not at the kind of televised level yet. Um, but it, it, I think that's one of my other frustrations is that it's always assumed that if you're a female coach, it's, it's automatically assumed that you therefore only coach women and girls. And it's not true because, you know, a good coach can coach anyone. And I actually think there's a lot to be said about male female coaching partnerships um, because there's the potential there for them to work really, really well, both in male sport and female sport. And I personally would like to see a lot more of those kind of male-female coaching partnerships. That's extremely interesting. I, I never thought about that. And and I think, you know, when I, I think of um, women coaching here in the United States um, with the game of American football. Um, if you look at that, it's an 11 side, just like, you know, soccer, the game or your football. Um, it's a much different tactical game. And did you, do you think that, um, do you think that there's a, um, an inherent fear of trying to break into that? Um, I'm sure there is, it, you know, how, how would you coach somebody to get through that? Uh, if, you know, like we have one, that's coaching for the a gal that's coaching for the 49ers. She's doing a really great job. And the San Francisco, uh, San, San Antonio Spurs, excuse me, they have an assistant coach. Um, and you see some really powerful women in, in the co- collegiate level, but not as much at the professional level. What is, what is, you, you mentioned the men, but what is it going to take for, for, you know, for a woman to break into those ranks? So I think, um, I think in some respects, uh, Again, it links back to the whole, if she can see it, she can be it. So it is gonna, it's going to take someone. It's going to need someone to, to do it first. And then I think once someone does it and is successful, because this is the other thing is, uh, about being a female coach, is that 
I think you have to prove yourself. There's a lot more pressure to prove yourself um, at all levels of mm. the sport than there is for male coaches because it's this kind, especially when you coach what is considered a male sport. So football in this country is considered a male sport. And so it's kind of like, well, what would she know? And on coach education courses and, and in coaching environments, there, there is this often this pressure for women to prove their knowledge in a way that is just not required of men at all. Um and so I think for women to be successful in those roles, there's a lot more pressure there because it's like, come on, you're representing all of us now. <laughs> You've really got to own mm. this because if you mess this yeah, up, yeah. they're not going to let anyone else try. So unfortunately, I think whoever makes it through first is going to have to do a great job. Um, and I'm sure they will because they should be selected on merit. Um, I think it's, I think it's ensuring that that the pathway and, and and structures in place to to develop talent are there for female coaches just as much as they are there for players and there is a lot of support in this country in terms of mentoring programs um to develop coaches um at all levels but in terms of someone breaking through into a kind of um sort of publicly visible top role that you're describing there are definitely elite mentoring programs to for to support women um into those coaching environments and into those roles and honestly like i i don't i don't think it's impossible i think we will see it um but it's also about women wanting to do it and there are lots of women who who happily coach boys and men and dare I say prefer it I don't know you'd have to ask them but there are also a lot of women who almost want to coach girls and women not because they think it's an easier pathway because actually coaching if you do it properly coaching anyone is actually quite difficult personally I think <laughs> um, it doesn't matter what if they're a boy or a girl, but there are lots of women who sort of almost want to coach females because they feel like they owe it to their younger self. Like there's a photo of me um, when I was about four or five years old kicking a football. And, um, and I always, and I'm wearing a summer dress. <laughs> My mum's, you know, put me in this lovely summer dress and these lovely shoes and I'm kicking a football around the garden and I always say to myself, I do it for her. I do it for that little girl in the dress um, so that she knows, like, this is possible and it's okay. So it's I'm not against coaching males, and I have coached males and enjoyed it. But me personally, where I currently am in my journey, I just feel like my value is being a role model for other females that's that's powerful coach i mean i think when you say you know you owe it to that little girl in that picture i mean i i think what you're saying there is like you love this sport so much that you want to see it reach its potential and so you want to direct your attention and and moving the sport ahead for all those future little girls out there like like you were in that picture um you know one of the things that we always ask uh, coaches that we talk to, you know, Tim and I are, are avid readers, um, you know, so we always like to to ask coaches, you know, a, something that they've read that, you know, they go back to from time to time, or it might even be a, a book that you're reading now that you feel is is impactful and, and that our, our viewers and listeners, uh, you know, may find impactful as well. So do you have anything on on your list that you think that we should definitely check out? Um, yeah, so I, I, for my sins, so this isn't, this, I mean, probably in America they won't care, but anytime I mention this in the UK, everyone's like, ooh, but I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan. So um, one of my sort of coaching idols is our sort of ex-manager, Maurizio Pochettino, and I think he is just a brilliant kind of role model and a brilliant example of how you don't need to kind of, scream and run and run up and down the touchline in a negative way and be aggressive and horrible quite publicly you can just actually be very calm and just get to know players as people 
and have a massive impact on their journey. And so um, his his book um, called Brave New World, and it's like inside Pochettino Spurs, I think is the full title. But that's got, I mean, I'm biased because he's he used to manage us and he's basically my hero. Um, but mm. it has got loads cool. of, of, it's got, it's just got loads of little anecdotes and, and kind of um, little chapters and lines in it about the importance of, of developing the person um and and kind of yeah supporting the player as a person um i also read um during lockdown i've i've sort of made i've i've had the time but also made the time to do more reading and i read um i read a book that isn't a sports book but it if for anyone that coaches or even indeed is parents of teenagers it's such an interesting book and it's um it's about the teenage brain and I can't remember the full title now, but it's about, I can, I can send it to you afterwards, but it's about the, the teenage brain. And um, so it's written by a scientist, but it's not really like dense and heavy, but it's basically a look into how for, for many years we assumed that, um, you know, you basically in adolescence, you just sort of like you do all your learning and then you kind of stop learning when you stop going to school. And actually what scientists have found is that the teenage brain, like literally the physical brain, is still developing well into the mid 20s. And so all those decisions that young people and young adults are making that might seem really crazy and reckless and so difficult to understand. Um, there are literally changes taking place in their brain that are influencing those decisions. It's not so like the moody teenager. Um, it just basically explains all of that. But it, what it, the reason I found it so fascinating as a coach is because it's, it actually made me feel a bit sorry <laughs> for all of those teenage players who are often shouted at by parents or, you know, like kind of like mm. having, just constantly like people having a go at them. And and what it also did was made me reflect on my sort of coaching practices when I'm coaching teenagers, especially girls who are very, very sort of sociable creatures, um, is that their the opinion of their peers is everything. It is paramount. It will it will mm -hmm. basically influence all of their decisions. And so even if that decision is reckless <laughs> or crazy, the importance of being accepted into a group that is not your family is so important to them, like it's so key that it will kind of rule supreme over everything else, which is why often children as individuals seem sane. And then when they get together in a group, you're like, why is my child suddenly making these oh, crazy yeah. decisions? So I can see because I'm not a parent, but I can see both of you as dads nodding. And it's like, that's that's oh, yeah. why. And so honestly, I encourage um, I encourage uh, anyone who, who interacts with children, whether it's as a parent or as a coach, to read this book. I will send you the, the author and the title so you can add it to the, the podcast. Yeah, we'd love that. I, you know, it's interesting you say that because Dwayne and I talk a lot about peer leadership and peer mentoring and, you know, we've, we've done leadership councils and one of the biggest struggles we have is, you know, um, peers holding each other accountable and having difficult conversations. And I think you speak to exactly the difficult uh, nature of that. Well, I don't want to make that guy mad. I don't make that girl mad by telling them they did something wrong because I want to be accepted by them. I want them to be in the group and I want to have fun and I, I don't want things to go bad. I don't want to get yelled at. And um, I think that's a really interesting dynamic. I would love to hear that, that, that book because we would certainly love to read that. As educators, it's important too. You see it every day in middle school um, with kids. Um, Coach, as we, as we kind of wrap up here, um, what a great session it's been. Is there, is there anything you feel like we haven't really touched on? I, I feel like we've gone um, – down some really great avenues, but is there something that you feel we haven't touched on that you would like listeners to be aware of about either yourself or things that you're doing or things that you need people to know? Um, as you say, I think we, I think we've covered quite a lot. Um, I've really enjoyed talking to you both. I think, um, I think it's just the key for me is just like, we're all always learning and there's no, sometimes when I speak, I think people think that because I speak quite 
confidently that like I must have this whole problem solved and I must be this amazing coach that just plans these amazing sessions and just delivers like you know five star sessions time after time after time no that is not the reality (laughs) the reality is you know I have my own sort of confidence issues I have um, my own kind of areas that I need to develop I get things wrong in sessions in the same way that players do which is where a lot of my patience and empathy comes from because often Mm. I'm learning at the same time they're learning too so I think you know I think authenticity is really important to me. And and when we talked at the beginning about, you know, leadership qualities, um, you know, it's, it's just about being your true self. And that means all of you and none of us, none of us is perfect. So just, just embrace where you are at on your journey and don't, don't get too caught up with trying to get the next job or the next role or go into a higher league or those things like be the expert where you are now and those opportunities will then present themselves. That's, that's, that's really amazing coach. I I do have one other question for you before we let you go. Uh, Who has more uh, crazier fans? The, England national soccer team or the England rugby national team? Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't really, so I don't really follow rugby that much. So I've never really been that, in amongst, sorry. It's, it's, I mean, rugby is popular in England though, correct? Yeah, no, it is, it is, it is, it's, ma- it's massive, but because I've never really followed it, I, what I was going to say was I've never really been in and amongst their fans. So I feel like okay. um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be unkind, but I, I think, um, <laughs> I think, I don't know. Like there's lots of, um, there's lot there's lot there's alcohol seems to be a big thing <laughs> in both <laughs> sets of fans. I would definitely say that much. Um, I think, listen, hey, we talked earlier about the, the brilliant um, power of, of sports, any sports, bringing, but particularly team sports, bringing, you know, groups of people together. And, um, and I think it's just, it's great to see, to see people kind of passionate, um, regardless of the sport. There you go. There's my politician's answer. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You're, you're being That's... politically correct. But, you know. <laughs> Also wanted to make sure, you know, if any of our listeners want to give you a follow, what's the best way or how can they contact you or reach out to you? Um, you know, if you want to yeah, share definitely. that, that'd be great. Um, so the, the main sort of social media platforms I use is um, uh, Twitter and Instagram. Um, they uh, Twitter, anyone is free to follow me. On Instagram, I, I will have to accept your request. Um but I think the handles um, are, I think Twitter is at, um, is it at underscore coach Ali underscore? Maybe? Underscore. Yep. You might have yep. to, this is, this is useless for, for someone that's listening, but you might, when you do your little blurb on your platform, you might need to type in my, my things. Sorry. Cause I can't remember them. Um, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm usually known as coach Ali on, on Twitter and Instagram, but yeah, my surname is speechly S P E E C H L Y. Well, and we will, when we post this out on, on Twitter, we will tag you in that as well. So your handle will be in our post as well for people. So, um, oh, yeah, perfect. But, and uh, then on my, on my, um, account, I've got my Instagram so people can just click that way. And you've got a great LinkedIn bio that talks about how you want to empower young females to believe that they, with hard work and positive attitude, they're capable of anything. And I think that's an amazing message that we want to make sure people leave here knowing about you, Coach Ali. And uh, we are better because of the hour you spent with us and over an hour and really gracious of you to to engage with a couple of meathead American football coaches. Uh, but brilliant, um, brilliant thoughts today. We really appreciate your your commentary on women and the power that they contain. And uh, as a dad, uh, I really appreciate it as well. I wish you all the best in, in your endeavors. We're going to follow you on social media and, and hopefully we can, um, you know, do this again at some point down the road. Yes. Thanks guys. It wasn't, it was a genuine pleasure. Thanks for your time. Thanks for inviting me.
All right. Thanks, Coach. And as always, let's uh, let's keep chasing life leadership and the pursuit of greatness in everything that we do. Have a great day. Thanks again for checking out our podcast today and sticking around to the end. Dwayne Mathis and I are so grateful that you decided to stop by. Just a reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on any platform that you use to listen in. Apple, Google, Spotify, you name it, we're on it. If you have any questions, please be sure to send us an email at lifeleadpg at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners, about topics you want to hear regarding leadership. Also check out our YouTube channel. We post videos every Sunday and recap the podcast that we had the previous week. Great opportunity to get a quick hit of what we're talking about. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so you don't miss an opportunity to get better as a leader. And as always, let's keep chasing life, leadership, and pursuit of greatness in everything that we do. Have a great night.